0: Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us for our eighth episode of Engine's Tech Talk Sprint series, where we'll be hearing from cutting edge fintech firms about the challenges facing industry and discuss the tech solutions that can assist in addressing them. My name is Darrell Kennedy, and I'm the Investment Association's Policy Advisor for Sustainability and Responsible Investment. Today's Engine Tech Talk session is titled Climate Change Impact on Investment Assets. And I'm very pleased to be joined by Lucky Ahmed and Camille Kluser from ClimateX, who will be answering six key questions to provide guidance on a number of areas, including climate related risks and the importance around factoring climate change into our operations. Lucky and Camille, welcome to both of you and thank you for coming to speak to us today. As you can see on the current slide, we have noted three session outcomes, along with a brief overview of Climate X. As usual, I would welcome viewers to pause and read through the information, but to ensure that we get through today's questions, I'll press on and get started with the interview. Lucky and Camille, I'll put questions to each of you, and feel free to jump in with your thoughts. So the first question of today's session is, what are the climate-related risks to businesses and or assets? Camille, I'll pass to you for
1: this one. Sure. Thank you, Daryl. So when it comes to risks relating to climate change, there are two major risks. Firstly, these are physical risks and secondly, transition risks. Now, what physical risks are, is effectively any impact of extreme weather Uh, that can cause uh, damage to assets or even the land where there's no assets uh, on those so far. So, for example, we could split them into the acute and the chronic ones, and from the acute ones, you'll have flooding, you'll have hurricanes and storms. Uh, Potentially, some elements of droughts would be also considered as, uh, as um, as acute risks of climate. Now, on the chronic side, that's things like subsidence. So, imagine having assets all across London and there's a lot of clay in London, that play will subside with time at the back of extra uh, heat as well as additional rainfall. Now, when it comes to transition risks, this is effectively all of the costs that well, the firms will have to spend to get and reach the net zero. So this is anything from policy and legal, so effectively whatever the regulators or policymakers will tell firms respectively to do in order to get to net zero, but also any investment in technology on the market and consumer spend. Now, lastly, the UK's PRA is increasingly talking about things called liability risks. Now, this is nothing else than a loss for our uh, compensation or this is compensation for, for losses for businesses and people respectively. Now, all those three risks in total, they will impact cash flows, balance sheets and effectively operations and function of the firms That will in turn cause a number of financial and non-financial risks.
0: Brilliant, thanks Camille. I'll move straight on to our second question. What is at stake if climate change is left unchecked? Lucky, I'll pass to you for this one.
2: Sure, thing. Um Yeah, so if climate change is left unchecked, I think we're in a position where the world that's going to be ahead of us as we travel forward into the decades is going to be very different to the one that we know today. And we're already starting to see a lot of these changes manifest in front of our very eyes. Um, so just take a look around um, some of the experiences that we saw uh, in Texas just in February of 2021. There was a one week long cold snap, and that one week of dysfunction led to over $195 billion in estimated losses due to lost income and long term economic outputs being disrupted through supply chain failures. Um, more than four and a half million homes and businesses were left without power, and over 100 lives were tragically lost. More recently though, we've started to see on the other side of the scale, extreme heat resulting um, in record breaking temperatures. Uh, there's a gripping of cities by uh, heat domes and that resulted in electrical grid failures, extreme drought and devastating wildfires. And some of those impacts are closer to home. We starting to see increases in flooding um, in places around London and up north. And, Fundamentally, what it does is it creates risk for the assets. So you've got properties, buildings, infrastructure, and land that are unusable or severely disrupted. That type of disruption can result in these types of effects that are fundamentally damaging emotionally um, and uh, economically to the local populations and the the communities that, that live in those areas. Now, the UN estimates that the cost of these types of effects will come in the order of the trillions of dollars. So one of the estimates that we've seen is around um, 17 trillion dollars each year, now and forever, um, and that counts for 20 percent of uh, GDP. So that's equivalent to one in every five pounds um, in your pocket disappearing as a result of climate change. And there's no corner of the world that's left untouched. This is literally as far um, east and as far west, north and south as you can go. So it's a global problem that requires global coordination in order to try and build solutions to counteract. The sooner that we can identify these risks, better them, the more chances we have of protecting um, societies and also taking advantage of um, potential opportunities that might also come from the changing environments around us.
0: Thanks, Lucky. I couldn't agree more. My third question for you is, what is the current regulatory and commercial landscape of climate risks? Camilla, I'll pass to you.
1: Uh, so yeah. relating back to what Lackey said, that climate change uh, requires a global coordination. There's already several pockets of policy, regulation and initiatives that are currently being shaped. I'm not, the, the list that you sort of seen here at the moment is not by no means exhaustive, but um, it sort of touches on some of the main drivers behind the, the latest changes of policy. So um, just starting at the top, you've got uh, regulators. Now, close to home in the UK, uh, UK's uh, UK's PRA has been at the forefront of implementing uh, regulation to do with climate change uh, in the UK, and they were probably one of the first countries to do so. So this year alone, uh, pretty much the vast majority of all 1,500, in fact, of um, firms that are regulated by the PRA, they have have to undergo um, a climate stress test or a stress assessment uh, of sorts that will basically finger point the vulnerabilities of uh, respective financial services to climate change. Now, this is is not the end. Globally, we've got NGFS, Network for Greening the Financial System. It's effectively, at the moment, over 90 central banks and regulators trying to coordinate the policy rollout across the world. Uh, European Union will see impacts coming through next year. Uh, US is accelerating at the moment since their presidency change. We already know that in places like Hong Kong and Singapore, so um, sort of um, Asia-Pacific, there's already a number of initiatives trying to stress this effectively, the the current financial system for climate change. Now, on top of the regulators, you've also got the the governments and I've already mentioned the central banks. Now, the governments are, are picking up something called DCFD, predominantly, and you know, there are plenty more initiatives as well, but I wanted to focus on just this one. So TCFD is a taskbook for climate financial disclosure. Um, In the UK, uh, UK has been the second country after New Zealand uh, in the world to announce TCFD will be mandatory across all the industries for any large or listed firm. So it doesn't matter whether you chain of hotels or chain of restaurants, uh, you will have to undergo a climate stress or scenario analysis. Which effectively encompasses the whole of the whole of the country. Now, um, worth mentioning, that not the city, won't be spending a lot of time in it. There's a number of industry bodies uh, effectively listing and telling respective firms how to conduct various analysis, things like IFRS, FSB, et cetera. And on top of it, we've got a number of carbon initiatives. So, for example, the the, the, the flagship UK projects are Race to Zero. Together with the SME um, sort of climate hub, these two are effectively asking firms to make a commitment to net zero by an X time. Effectively, everyone wants to meet the Paris Agreement deadlines.
0: Great. Thanks, Camille. My next question is how can businesses prepare to include climate change in their day to day operations? Lucky, I'll pass to you.
2: Sure, yeah, there's quite a few things um, that people need to do. And I think it's all going to start, to be honest, with education. This is a new area for businesses, for the people that are leading these organisations. And so just navigating the landscape, of all these different words, these types of language that are being used around um, climate change is going to be important. And broadly, we split it into two different components. So you've got the component around mitigation. So what is it that you do in order to hit the brakes on carbon emissions, on things that are literally accelerating uh, climate change, related effects how do we slow that down um, so that's one part and the second part is around adaptation so the world is changing as I mentioned there are things that are happening that I think are going to be inescapable so how do you make sure that as we head into that future your business is prepared that your organization is ready to, 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 to thrive and survive so on the adaptation side of things uh, really what it's about is taking data um, understanding how your businesses are exposed to these types of physical transition risks um, that Camille mentioned earlier on. So you can imagine a heat map of the country that you operate in, and then you effectively put your pinpoints in on the map to say, well, actually, are my assets exposed to these potential future risks? What's driving those um, types of risks? Is it flooding? Is it subsidence? And then building in plans to build a, a more climate resilient business strategy and sets of investments. So that could be that if you're an asset manager, for example, you might want to rebalance your portfolio, you might want to start to actually price in some of uh, climate risk related factors into evaluation processes. So these types of things will be frontline decisions that will fundamentally change the way that you assess um, a proposition uh, or a business opportunity. Uh, there's going to be things internally that need to be done as well around the general risk management framework. So who is going to be responsible for um, looking at these risks and how do you assess them? So really it's all about quantification. So This is where things like stress testing and scenario analysis comes in. So you'll take different hypothetical scenarios, run your portfolios through those systems and ask yourself the question, what does that mean for my business in terms of a dollar effect? What does it mean in terms of the stability of my customer being able to maintain the payments? Or in some instances, it might be that you're looking at the actual potential losses that you might incur if there was to be um, a default situation. Now, uh, all of this needs to be wrapped around strong governance, so things that can be audited. So you have different lines of defense for example in the financial world that we talk about first second third line of defense to make sure that um, there's no areas where things can be material and slip through the net as far as the understanding and representation of that climate risk is concerned and ultimately all of these things will feed into a broader strategy um, and really the things, the things that we're hearing about a lot is this transition to net zero that Camille mentioned earlier on so how do you move the entire business into a place uh, where we meet the Paris agreements so that's about your energy usage consumption the way that you operate your business um carbon offsetting and so on um and then that also then leads into competitive plays. so if you've got a a view ahead of time of how risk might manifest and you can rebalance your portfolios change your decisions about who you lend to at what price etc that helps to build um a future i think that people can can better predict and therefore have a more stable set of outcomes for investors and really that, that's what it's all about is making sure that the financial system um, that underpins your modeling processes, your accounting etc is robust and, and factors in climate risks.
0: Thanks lucky I'll pass the penultimate question to Camille. What technology data and analytics are needed to understand climate vulnerabilities?
1: Sure, thank you. So I guess what every, everyone really wants to get to and add is literally an asset-specific climate intelligence and I think that's the paramount or golden grail and once firms will be able to produce those estimates at an asset level, uh, then I think we'll be able to start managing the risks more efficiently and trying to start rebalancing the portfolios or even look at the acquisitions in a new way. So, one of the things that is probably um, very important, and sort of start from the top and move clockwise, um, it's effectively trying to recreate a digital twin of the earth. We're looking at physical rest. So, what is that doing? It's effectively simulating the situation on the ground and up into the air until 2100, because that's what the latest sort of IPCC. projections and estimations are. Even the UK PRA, they want to do projections until 2080, so this is hardly the difference between one and the other. Now the digital twin of the Earth effectively simulates uh, a synthetic variables for um, various different types of hazards such as floods, subsidence, coastal erosion, landslides, droughts, etc. And then links them back to the climate models just to work out what's the probability and severity of those respective impacts. Now, that obviously requires a lot and a lot of data, at very high resolution. However, not every single country will have a lot of this data available and ready to use. So this is where machine learning and neural networks and pretty much artificial intelligence come to help. So those techniques are very useful um, in, in two ways. Firstly, if the system becomes too complex to describe it with a digital twin of the Earth, AI comes quite handy to, to describe that com- complex problem in a fairly computerized, natural way. Secondly, um, machine learning is really, really powerful tool for locations where certain elements of data are missing. So for example, if I want to simulate a flood in, in, in the UK, in Scotland, but certain elements of my flood model, like a river flow, are missing, and they're not publicly available, or I cannot synthesize them from uh, any other sources, uh, then we probably, Default to using machine learning to actually produce that input. Then moving further, remote sensing. Now, the using remote sensing, which is synthetic aperture radars, um, it's a satellite imagery, is infrared. Ah, uh, it's progressed to the extent that now it becomes commercially viable to start using satellites, uh, depending on where in the atmosphere they are, to actually monitor and track what happens here on the ground. Now, this gives a really amazing advantage for firms to do so that way because of the fact that, A, uh, the data coming from remote sensing is super granular, so we can get resolutions up to one by one square meter effectively from Sentinel-1, which is the European Space Agency satellites, or we can use some of the NASA satellites to look at it uh, from from the other sort of aspect on the satellite imagery. Now, that also allows for scaling because effectively you can do and run and monitor those assets anywhere in the world because the satellites are spread out anywhere in the world. And finally, in terms of the tech, obviously cloud and supercomputing, and this is where the world moves to. So cloud has been quite popular on the market for quite some time and it's really great because of the fact you can, given the vast amount of data, you can run things in a parallel, paralyzed manner. And when it comes to supercomputer, supercomputer, that comes really handy for one particular problem that, you know, every 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 climate Projector will probably struggle with is effectively trying to downscale the climate, because climate is something at the macro scale, say 30 or 50 kilometers by 30 or 50 kilometers. However, we want to understand the local, and nearly the asset level impact of that climate. And in order to do so, um, the, the supercomputers get kind of become quite
0: handy. Thanks, Imuel. So Lucky, a question that I have for you. uh, What are the ways to mitigate against climate change losses?
2: Yeah, so I'll I'll try and keep this quite brief because there's a a lot to unpack here, in fact, in terms of the things that people can do. But fundamentally, we break it down into three components. So number one is uh, attempt to contribute less to that problem. Um, So that means reducing emissions, looking at your supply chain. So it's not just about you and what you do as a business, but all the people that are involved end to end. Um, Now the cost of doing that is likely to lead to some uh, investments so that could be changing uh, some of your energy supplies, it could be changing things that you manufacture, um, goods and services, but the cost of transition is fundamentally and significantly cheaper than uh, waiting for these events to manifest and then reacting on the other end. So that is uh, I think the number one thing that we need to start getting into the headspace of. Number two uh, is you know and actually on that point in case we're not in a position where we can Reduce all emissions, I think that's almost impossible. The next key step is to offset and make sure that you use gold standard suppliers in order to do that, so that it's being done in the right way. Uh, The second thing is around managing the risks, so we talked about that already in terms of implementing strategies, uh, risk management frameworks, uh, really things that will allow you to control, measure and uh, monitor the progress of that transition as you move towards a greener operating model. Um, the, there is a lot that needs to be done around future-proofing, and this is really where there's going to be a lot of change that is driven over the long term. So if you've got buildings, for example, as we discussed, you could potentially rebalance your portfolios. Ask yourself the question, do I still want to be in a position where I lend to this particular location? Is it the safe place for me to build a new town or city? Do I weatherize that wind turbine? There's a lot of decisions that can be taken around the physical infrastructure that we're building or that we're maintaining and aligned uh, with that is well actually are the opportunities to climate proof and protect those assets from the future risks that we're able to see so all of this requires data it requires a lot of analysis and it requires a lot of work i think for people to undertake in order to make sure that we are making the right decisions and that they're as informed as possible Um, and the sooner that we start really the better it's going to be
0: thanks very much lucky and thank you very much camille you've given us a lot to think about here and undoubtedly a topic that firms should be paying close attention to. So we're delighted to have recorded this session with you. That brings us to um, the end of today's session. If anyone watching has a question that they'd like to ask either Lucky or Camille, um, or just to get more information about Climate X and their offerings, then please do contact them via email. That's on the current slide. Um, or if you'd like to get more information generally about Climate X, then please visit their website, which is also displayed. Uh, thank you both for joining us today and we look forward to speaking again soon
2: thank you thank you thank you for listening to this tech talk sprint
1: podcast from engine engine is the investment association's fintech hub serving the investment management sector the only buy side focused hub of its kind globally for more information about engine or any of our fintech solution providers please visit theiaengine.com where you'll also find all of these interviews in video form. Finally, don't forget to make sure you'll subscribe wherever you get your podcasts
0: and follow at IAEngine on Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn and TikTok.